Okay, hello everyone and happy almost Thanksgiving. Welcome to ACTUS Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. ACTUS Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to ACTUS. Today, Wednesday, November 22nd, marks our 84th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of ACTUS, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program. Glorianne Bryant, Reflections on a Career in HIM and CDI. I'm joined today by my co-host on your screen at left there. We have with us today Alan Frady. Alan is a CDI education specialist here for us at ACTUS. Alan teaches our CDI boot camps and serves as a subject matter expert with ACTUS. Uh, his background includes being an accomplished consultant with a background in coding and documentation. Uh, he was served two years as a coding director at the Medical College of Georgia, six years as a CDI consultant, and has nursing experience, um, including work as a case manager and in cardiovascular care and ICU and telemetry. And I'm glad to have him back on the show. So welcome, Alan. Thank you, Brian. Hello, everyone. All right. And next, I'd like to introduce our, our special industry guest today. So we have with us Glorianne Bryant. Uh, Glorianne is an RHIA, CDIP, CCS, and CCDS, and is the former National Director of Coding Quality Education Systems and Support for a National Healthcare Delivery System. So we'll be getting into her background a little bit more in just a few minutes, but she is a 35-plus year coding uh, HIM professional and leader. She is a CHIA past president and a former ACTUS advisory board member. Uh, Glorianne's done a lot for our community. She was on the original committee that developed ACTUS's CCDS certification as well. You probably recognize her name. She's presented on countless educational programs. I really wouldn't even know how many to start with. <laughs> Has written numerous articles and books on HIM and CDI. And on October 3rd, um, just last month, Glorianne retired from full-time employment but now provides and shares her knowledge and, ex and expertise on a limited consulting basis. And I'm glad to have her on the program to talk a little bit about that long and decorated career in HIM and CDI. So welcome to the program, Glorianne. Thank you and welcome everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. All right. Well, as I always do, we're going to start with a, uh, Question related to today's topic. So we're going to be talking about Glorianne's career, but also one of her passions, which is uh, ethics and compliance. So um, we're doing a poll related to today's topic, and we'll ask you to take those, and we'll come back to these results in just a few minutes. So the question reads, how frequently do you encounter situations that may be ethically questionable, however you define that, from a CDI perspective? Um, would you say you encounter them very frequently? which we define here as maybe every month or even more often. Uh, somewhat regularly, perhaps once every few months, you might run into something. Infrequently, you know, maybe it's a rare occurrence, uh, perhaps once a year, uh, rarely and or never, or not applicable if you're not really in the field right now. Again, how frequently do you encourage, excuse me, encounter situations that maybe ethically questionable from a CDI perspective. Uh, very frequently, somewhat regularly, infrequently, rarely and or never, 
or is this not applicable to your current situation? All right, we've got about 70% of our audience voted, so we're going to go ahead, 75% now, we're gonna go ahead and close this out, and we will uh, come back to the results as we always do after our guest interview. All right. So why don't we go ahead and, and jump right in. You know, Glorianne, again, congratulations on your uh, on your retirement. Uh, maybe you could start just by updating our audience on your current situation. We talked a little bit about your last uh, work date and maybe a little bit about what you've been up to since you since you've retired. I use that in quotes because I know you're you're busy with some things, including being on Actus Radio today. So. Yes, thank you, Brian. And again, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I wish the audience a very wonderful holiday weekend uh, here in Northern California, where I now live in the foothills. It's a beautiful fall day. We did have some rain earlier in the week, but the leaves are almost completely gone off the, the trees. And so we have, I have lots of fall colors. Anyway, um, to get back to the area of today's conversation, Yes, I have been asked by a few associations and some company vendors to provide coding education through webinars and seminars and talk on shows such as this one and there's others out there as well. I thoroughly enjoy that type of activity and, and I'll continue to do that on a limited basis, kind of a pick and choose what fits into the schedule. I, I read all of those important Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS Transmittals. I continue to subscribe to their blog. So I do get healthcare-related information regularly every day. And those related to HIM, documentation, coding, I read vigorously. So I keep up with that news and those bulletins. And that, that gives me some things coming through in my emails to look at each day. And I do have some colleagues from CDI and HIM coding that I regularly communicate with. And we discuss coding and CDI situations through email back and forth to each other. That's all fun to do as well. Um, I, I have to be honest, I do enjoy getting a little more sleep than I did in the past or <laughs> sleeping in a little bit, I must say. I mean, we probably all could do that. I think there's statistics out there. We're not getting enough sleep. So it, it's fun to get a little more sleep. That's a plus. And I do enjoy getting outdoors and taking walks in the woods. So kind of that's where I am right now. It's a, a definitely a little more leisurely situation in my life and a little more laid back than it has been in the past. Awesome. So that's kind of fun. That's nice. So you're retired, but obviously staying involved and keeping both yeah, feet keeping in, my in finger the industry. In it. Keeping your news. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I see, um, nice. Yeah. Alan. So, yeah, you never want to be too far away from it. Uh, first of all, let me say it is an honor and a treat. Uh, to be here today as we celebrate your career. You know, I have followed uh, you and your work going all the way back since my career began, really, and trying to apply some of the advice you've given really going all the way back to the 90s. I, I can't ever remember a time when yours wasn't one of the voices, uh, you know, in, in this arena. And I know that you were around even at the very, very beginning days of CDI, I actually didn't hear about CDI personally 
until well in the 2000s, even though uh, it was a thing going all the way back to the 90s. You were basically there at the advent of it. Can you reflect a little bit um, you know, on those early days as far as how it rose to prominence as a career, you know, as an, as an arena that you could actually work in, and you know, what changes that you've seen over you know, the decades since, how it has evolved? Sure. Um, so for the audience today, of course, as an HIM coding professional, I was querying as part of my job, and I, I was a DRG coordinator. We don't hear that title very much as, anymore, but um, I was a DRG coordinator for a number of years and was helping other coding professionals understand when to query and when it was appropriate. And this was primarily done at the time of coding and or retrospectively. And this was in the very early 1990s, 91, 92. But I recall the first time being asked by administration leaders about documentation for coding and why the coding staff, finger pointing was done, uh, weren't using the labs and the radiologies to assign the code. Well, after having a few teaching minutes or two, we ex explaining that we can only use certain parts of the medical record directly for coding. Then later, administration got the understanding that this was very important to the coding process and that doing more retrospective type querying may not be as advantageous to the organization because it appeared there was some rework, as we all know, and going back, and why wouldn't we do the querying at the time the patient was in the hospital? So administration did ask me to go to the floor of the hospital, community hospital, and review some medical records to identify, did I see some diagnosis or conditions that we would potentially query on at the time of coding or retrospectively, couldn't we query on those concurrently? And of course, looking at clinical indicators, which we didn't even call it that, it, we called it just, look, we said, looking at the information and the querying of the, the providers concurrently. So that, I think the first time was 94, 95, and a little bit into 96. Uh, yeah, so it does date back a number of years. And I recall two situations in particular during that time, I actually did enjoy dialoguing with the providers it was looking at some, what we call now clinical indicators, and it was around the treatment of dehydration in some patients. And we appeared in our statistics and data, we didn't have a lot of dehydration or as much as one would think for an acute care hospital. And we did discover that there was a lack of diagnostic documentation. There was lab values and there was treatment being given one particular physician was really open to understand why I was querying and he, he dialogued with me a lot and wanted to really understand the grasp of, okay, he was looking at the labs, he was assigning ordering treatment for dehydration, but he didn't write that word dehydration in there. <laughs> and after a while, he really got the grasp of the value of how important it is to show what his, he was treating and how sick the patient was. Another example was there was a process where we were looking at clinical data, which include the frequency of a particular diagnosis. Our dietary department was being downsized as there was not data to support the range of clinical conditions they were treating, especially malnutrition. 
Another teaching learner moment came about from this work after I ran some data reports, looked at the volume over the past two years of malnutrition diagnosis, which appeared from the population that we were treating in our hospitals lower than one, one would expect. And in talking to the dietary department, they felt this was not accurate. We found that the key was, again, the patients were being treated, evaluated for said malnutrition, but the diagnosis was not being documented by the provider, and we were not allowed to use that diagnosis directly from the dietitians. So teaching them about that and administration really helped, and it launched a variety of in-services in my organization to other providers and the whole dietary department and case management. We launched it to them as well about the importance of documentation, CDI, a case mix index, outcomes utilization, because all of these types of diagnosis did demonstrate utilization in a way of our services. And then we talked about the compliant way of obtaining documentation. And it really opened up eyes and ears to the importance of complete and accurate specific documentation to support the care and the services being rendered and provided. And yes, we did talk about reimbursement, but it wasn't at the top of the the chain of discussion topics. It was more around showing the diagnosis and its relationship to the services that we were provided by these skilled providers, such as other types of professionals, dietary department, respiratory department, and so on. So mm -hmm. uh, that kind of gives a little bit of information there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great, Gloria, and I, it's amazing that you were doing this work all those years ago before this CDI was really even an acronym, and uh, it shows how much it's it's, uh, it's it's evolved over the years, and great picture you painted there. You know, you, you were talking about querying for support uh, of the care provided, I, and this kind of leads us to the to a related topic to today's show, but one we touched on in our poll question, which was, you know, the CDI profession regarding uh, its, uh, from from an ethical perspective, and I know you are, again, this is sort of one of your passions. Um, we've, we've talked over the years about some over-aggressive query practices, non-compliant practices, things like clashes with HIM coding or coding guidelines. Um, do, you, do you have any particular concerns with the current state of CDI as it now exists? And if so, uh, and we'll be sharing our poll results again to talk about that, but what, what do you think the industry has to do to, to get back on track and or just make sure it's monitoring um, compliant practices and, and, and maintaining compliance with query briefs and our ethics as well, code of ethics? Yeah, this is an area even in our in our world. Um, it's not just in our jobs, but it's in our world surrounding us. A lot of times we do see things that are unethical situations or something that's not right, a process, an act, uh, whatever it is, a function, and we don't openly discuss them. There gets to be offense taken rather than being having an open dialogue to address and discuss there is complacency too we we sometimes as a society and even in our society work itself we turn ahead 
to something we know is not right. And, and this is a little bit of human nature to do that. But uh, I do have concerns that we continue to be complacent about things that are not right. And we need to really put in place with every single CDI program, if you don't call it a program, your CDI activities, your CDI functions, as you mentioned, Brian, a way to monitor this activity. And some folks refer to it as a QA, kind of a quality assurance type review of CDI queries. If you have the ability to look at queries even as they're being done, having that check and balance in place, ideally that's great because you can make corrections and people learn as they go rather than, again, retrospectively where it's after the fact and then you have to go and correct something that's already been done. And if you can intervene with the CDI query processes concurrently or at least before it's been billed, then we have an, a, an actual process that's working to have that checks and balances. I'd like to see, and I'm sure we all would, and I think I'm not alone here, collaboration between and with HIM encoding and CDI greater. Uh, I think we need to be more transparent mm -hmm. to each other's roles and functions, uh, more dialogue. And the good news is that I am hearing, and I'm sure you are too, and I know we discussed this at the conferences and on webinars as well, that there is more interest around ensuring that clinical documentation improvement or clinical documentation integrity, whatever term you prefer to be calling that function, that there be a QA process, a check and balances in place. So people are talking more about it and having those checks and balances in place and functioning well, because sometimes people say, oh, it's a, they could say it's a joke that we do this, but nobody takes it serious, but we need to take it serious. And other areas of concern may be limiting CDI to a particular payer only, where we know we need to broaden and encompass all payers and all patients. So those are kind of the things that cause a little concern for me. Yeah, thanks for sharing, absolutely. You brought up one really good point there. Um, I've been advocating for a while that we actually go and audit the queries to make sure that they're compliant, uh, you know, complete and accurate and not leading and uh, have all the indicators in them. So, uh, you know, we, it's almost like we have to audit the auditors because when you're doing a query, you're basically functioning as an auditor in a sort. But who's double-checking that for quality? And if nobody is, it can lead to problems, uh, which was a great point that you brought up. So um, moving on to my next question. You've been on uh, some, some pretty big stages and with some, with some pretty big personalities such as Robert Gold, you know, AHIMA, um, Actus, all kinds of HIM functions, and even testified before Congress in relation to the ICD-10 implementation. So based on all of that, you know, what are some of your highlights of your career, or some of those things that you would want to recap for the audience, or even if you had to pick just one uh, takeaway that, that you've come away with over the course of your career, what might that be? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ellen, that's a <laughs> tough one. Um, I loaded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, my time speaking with Dr. Gold, which is, was over 10 years um, as a colleague and a friend, was just priceless. And I've always enjoyed speaking with physicians in particular, and 
And it is a two-way street. I learn, they learn. And it's been a wonderful relationship with a variety of physicians and physician leaders in our industry today with that regard. So that's that's kind of a, a special part of my career that's very well um, near and dear to my heart, I should say. Uh, certainly the testimony and ICD-10 world, but I actually did a different, another testimony that um, may not be as well known. It was way back in the ninth, it was around 2000, 2001, CMS was holding a town hall meeting in Baltimore on querying. Some of you may remember that. And I was um, very uh, interested in that topic even back then, yes. I was working on a CDI program for my facility, multiple facilities actually. So I, was, I did go back to Washington and testify on support of the querying process because CMS was seeing hmm. some not so good functions going on out there and they wanted to stop it. And we, myself and others testified that it is a viable process and that it should be allowed. Now, certainly out of that, there came some rules about leading and um, making sure that you don't lead and making sure you point to the indications and where in the medical record this information is giving support of a query. So that was really an important one from a querying CDI perspective in my career that was really something that I thought was very important to be in front of the government and have them listen to an actual person who does this work and how viable and important it is to the organization and to healthcare in general. Wow. I, uh, that's, that's new to me, Gloria. And I, ha I didn't realize you were on that, uh, you had testified on behalf of really CDI in its early stages and querying and the legitimacy of queries. Um, very cool. Glad to share that with our audience. You know, we're going to certainly miss you a lot. Um, you've been just a, an amazing influence, um, on myself and, and on Actus. Again, I recapped a little bit. Uh, some of the work you did with our organization, original board member, helped get our certification off the ground. I remember our very first CCDS meeting uh, at our second conference, uh, at our first conference in, uh, in in Vegas and talking about some of the prerequisites and how we're going to build the exam. And uh, it's just been amazing. So, you know, in this, in the, in this time of Thanksgiving, I, I'm glad I was able to have you on to say thank you. Uh, for your for your service to HIM and to CDI and for laying some of the, the ground rules and doing it ethically and compliantly and professionally over your career. So congratulations, Glorianne. Thank you very much. Um, it's been my pleasure and I've absolutely. enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, let's go ahead and we'll share these uh, audience poll results. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and pull those back up for our folks to see. So again, we ask uh, how frequently do you encounter situations that may be ethically questionable from a CDI perspective? So our results were 7% did say very frequently, which we define as every month or more often. 34%, uh, about a third, said somewhat regularly, maybe once every few months. 23% uh, said infrequently, perhaps once a year, but it's still still there. Uh, about a third, 33% said rarely to never, and 3% not applicable. So this looks like, you know, almost two-thirds of our audience has encountered uh, either infrequently or sometimes even frequently uh, ethical situations within their job. Um, 
So what do you guys think? Maybe we could start with you, Lorianne, about these poll results um, and, how, and what they mean to you. Yes, and I'm glad you did the poll today. I think it's really a time to reflect back on what we're doing and how we do it. The first two, very frequently and somewhat regular, I think if you look at those totals, and we, we need to draw attention to that. And we may be afraid to say something, but we shouldn't be. It, it, don't be complacent. Uh, speak up to your manager, director, supervisor that something is going on uh, that leaves you uncomfortable or that you, you know, we don't have, it's not a true valid accusation. You just want it to be looked at. And that's okay. And we should have that right to do that. And we should have the ability to do it in a comfortable way. So that may be a topic for future webinar or even at the conference is to mm -hmm. talk about that comfort of bringing up something that's not so pleasant that you're you're concerned about something being non-compliant how do i bring that up great suggestion there Gloria. alan any, any thoughts on this poll result i was a little surprised to see the rarely to never category at 33 i thought that category would be lower and some of those numbers would be over into the occasional or infrequent that's to be honest, that's probably a little bit of reporting bias on my part where you you know you remember all the times that things didn't go well, but nobody remembers when things went perfect. And to be fair, there are a lot of facilities that are very, very cautious about not not breaking any and sometimes overly cautious as well. So I would say uh, now that I've seen the results, I would say that they're probably pretty accurate. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and close those out, but again, appreciate your uh, your time weighing in on those. Um, we're going to move now to our in the news segment. We've got just a few minutes left here, but we'll we'll work a little quickly here. Um, so in the news, again, is a regular uh, segment featuring uh, the latest news and industry updates related to CDI. So right now I'm sharing um, the fourth and what for now is the final uh, entry in my blog series, United Health Group Inc. versus the United States of America, the case for CDI. By the way, you're looking at this on a blog that if you haven't seen the news, we're going to be, and it's right, it's, it's referenced right here, we're gonna be moving the blog. It's gonna, we're gonna keep it, but it's going to be going to actus.org instead of this uh, WordPress site it's now on, which has gotten a little dated, frankly. But, but to go back to the news item here, this is an article um, I've been following, uh, I've been writing, excuse me, a, a, an ongoing series about United Health Group um, uh, versus the United States of America, the case for CDI. All the parts are linked to here. So if this is your first experience or exposure to this, I encourage you to, to check them out. Um, if you haven't read any, you might want to start with part one because it does, you know, it does build on itself. But essentially, this was a case that was a um, it was a, started as a key TAM, which is a whistleblower case, and has been since been taken up by the Department of Justice. Um, you know, really, what 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 has occurred, and, and to sum up this you know this long ongoing case, is some employees of United Health Group accused the insurer of upcoding to receive larger payments under Medicare Advantage. Uh, this was taken up by the DOJ. They brought a civil fraud action against United Health Group to recover damages and civil penalties under the False Claims Act or FCA. However, and as I noted in part four of this series, uh, the, 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 the opening round is over and the winner is United Health. So from the post here, 
Um, this was initially reported by Modern Healthcare. I give them credit and link, link to there in the post. Um, Judge John Walter, U.S. District Judge John Walter in California stated that the DOJ's False Claims Act allegations against United were too vague to move forward, and he ordered them dismissed. This was also covered by uh, a website called Law 360, which I'll just uh, pop up there. You can you can view this with a free login. Um, it goes into a little more detail there. But according to Judge Walter, the, uh, the suit was too vague, doesn't show intentional wrongdoing, and didn't show that the government would have withheld payment had it been aware of the alleged violations. So really an interesting and big development in the case. Um, I did note here in my post that the case is far from over, which is why I'm kind of leaving the door open to maybe do a fifth part, but uh, there is another key TAM complaint on the table awaiting resolution. So there was a couple that have come forward. Uh, he dismissed one of them. Um, and we're going to continue to monitor this to see uh, how it continues to evolve. So that was the uh, Swoban, if I'm pronouncing that correct, um, case that was uh, dismissed. And there is another one that is pending. And I have some links to those cases. They're really interesting to check out. You know, in my opinion, this is a uh, very interesting case, kind of an alarm bell for those working with HCCs and healthcare reimbursement in general. Uh, but really, it's not something to be afraid of. It's, it, to me, it demonstrates in, in rather dramatic fashion the compelling need for CDI, which is kind of where I got my title of blog series from. You know, I mean, if, you're, if you're helping physicians document in the health record the clinic, their clinical decision-making, the support for these diagnoses, these, the support for claim submission, um, that, that's doing it the right way. And, and um, some of the ongoing commentary is really points to how to do it the right way. So I would encourage folks that might be, maybe not have visited this blog series or, and or the case in general to check it out here on Actus blog. Again, um, I'll include the link to this article in the show notes after today's program. A uh, lot of information there, but maybe I'll just turn it over to, to Gloriana and or Alan. Do you have any comments on this case? Have you been following it? Any any thoughts or updates for our audience? Well, this is Gloriana. In relation to what we were talking about earlier, we must maintain ethics and compliance in the documentation and coding of HCCs, and that's very important. So your CDI functions, your coding query functions, all need to have those checks and balances in place. Alan? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we don't have too much time to unpack this, but I did think that the judge's response about this being a shotgun prosecution with a lot of disparate pieces of information, um, which didn't add up to a, a necessary pattern of intentional fraud, I thought that was very telling and that the CMS will target you if they find you to be a, an outlier in the data. So if they're looking at that data and you're in a very high um, area in terms of revenue, they'll start to target you, which, which does have all of the problems and features of classic profiling, which is that you may be putting uh, a company to the ringer when they've done nothing wrong. Um, there was another case, I just spent about one minute on it, of uh, Dr. Merrick, the job parallel, who um, has had his license suspended um, because he's had 10 cases that he's, talk he's saying are clerical errors that were uh, deceased patients that, he, that they build on. And this is 10 cases out of thousands and thousands of cases over the years. And what other physicians have said to me is that if this were really true, all physicians would be getting suspended. There has to be more to the story. Uh, CMS will sometimes target you uh, 
not based on what they find in fact, but what they've seen in data. So as it turns out, Dr. Merrick's uh, E&M levels are in the 93rd percentile, and if you look at his risk adjustment scores, the patients in that category don't appear to be sick enough to merit that level of care. Now, that, that very well may be legitimate. It may be that uh, he's being unfairly targeted, but you should always be cautious if you see in your data that you are performing so much higher above your peers uh, you maybe there could be problems, uh, maybe just in the process that are causing things to be elevated, um, and or they may be legitimate. But it's something that you should definitely look at and make sure because you probably could be expecting an. We used to say bill casually or code casually. Uh, we didn't want to be above the 85 percentile whenever I was a consultant. We wanted to be between 75 and 85 just for this very reason. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Alan. Um, I know we're past the top of the hour, folks. I'll just wrap up very quickly here with a with a brief Actus update. Just want to remind you, for those that maybe didn't get to listen live, uh, our Actus quarterly conference call of November was recently posted to the Actus website here. I'm showing you where that lives. It's in our resource library. Quarterly calls, you can find our November call there. As a reminder, these do offer a CEU uh, towards your CCDS certification. Um, I mentioned Actus blog is migrating. If you do go to that website, we're going to maintain that here on the on the website under CDI blog here. So we're just moving the content over. But if you do have that uh, URL saved somewhere in your desktop, you know, just note that it will be accessed through Actus.org. And finally, if you haven't seen our special 10-year edition, that is also um, a 10-year retrospective of Actus. We have a, a special report now available right on the website here. If you click through our slider bar, um, you can open that up and take a look at our special report. I recommend checking out some great photos, uh, reminiscence of uh, 10 years of Actus. So that will do it for today's edition of Actus Radio. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here and see you back in two weeks for our next program which is HIM and CDI. We're having a session with some HIM professionals who have encountered personal success, but also some struggles and barriers in the CDI industry. And we're gonna hear from them next week. So as always, if you have any suggestions or for future guests or ideas about the format of the show, I've been getting some good ones lately. So uh, send them to me at uh, bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it for Actus Radio today. Thanks again, Glorianne. Um, for being here today and for all your service over the years. And I know we'll be talking again soon, but happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving.